What's up, humans? This is Katie Rose coming to you from the pits of hell that is Satan's asshole, Florida. It is so hot and so humid, I can't be outside for longer than two seconds, Uh, not to mention the constant rain, which is wonderful for my plants and my garden, but it is either downpouring or scorching hot. So here we are suffering together. Like I've mentioned before, I think it's incredible that people can wear the same clothes every day. We go through so much laundry because we sweat through our clothing. We just can't wear the same thing every day like the northerners can. Um, So we've been not only suffering with the heat, but and I know it's not just Floridians, but we've also been suffering in the housing market. And, uh, you know, as a realtor, this has been really tough to watch people having to choose higher rent rates and, you know, some that are exceeding $500. I I know a friend that posted one that was over 600 a month because they were kind of grandfathered into something, an awesome deal, maybe a few years back. And, And I understand that there's overhead and costs and a lot of reasons why landlords need to you know, up their rent. I understand there's many reasons, but it it feels like extortion. Like it just it's like, how is this legal? How how are we how are we allowing this to happen in our in our country? And homelessness has become a real fear for people. And with COVID, people are also afraid to allow people into their homes as roommates because of their personal choices. And I've always wondered uh, when I would see veterans on the side of the road holding their signs and and how did they become homeless? They have so many available benefits and it just always confused me. And I do know that sometimes they are dishonorably discharged and they do not have access to those benefits. But knowing that about 50% of veterans are more likely to become homeless than other Americans because of poverty and lack of their support networks and overcrowded housing is sad. And a lot of times, um, because of their living conditions or mental illness, they have low marriage rates and high divorce rates. And a lot of veterans do live alone. And, um, you know, there's therapy that they can uh, seek out, of course, because that's what part of their benefits are. Um, but they don't typically have as good of a family support system. Um, you know, most of these veterans were gone for years and they don't have the support. And a lot of them, you know, aren't motivated to get the help that they need. Nearly half a million veterans are severely rent burdened and they pay more than 50% of their income for rent. And it's one of those, you know, out of sight, out of mind things. Um, About 45% of the 1.6 million veterans from Iraq and Afghanistan are seeking disability compensation. But the wait to get the disability claim is like 8 to 12 months. And the VA is great. You know, my dad's been using it for years for his medications and things like that. And it's just the sad part is they only reach about 20% of those in need. And they do reach out to like community service providers like the Green Doors program. And through the Obama administration, they offered tax credits to employers who actually hired veterans. So that does help the community and, you know, helps to inspire, um, obviously, growth and our growth in our economy. But um, a lot of them just didn't get the knowledge they needed. And most of the time, they can't translate their military skills to civilian terms. 
for some of them, the military is all they know. So if they didn't use any of their benefits for college, uh, then they spent most of their life in the military. And coming back to try to get a regular job, they don't have the degree and they don't have the skill set. So that's why they offer like these tax credits and everything like that. And, you know, suicide's a big issue as well because of what they've been through. And um, they do predict that every 36 hours a member commits suicide, which is just awful and sad. Now, the great thing is there are a lot of programs and support um, and they can seek that out. um, But the average person usually doesn't seek that out. Uh, I do know that the president and Congress, they do everything they can to help families upon their return from from the war. Uh, But we live in a world where we have access to viewing more than we've ever been able to view. And it affects mental health in that way. So it's like not just the veterans. It's like the average person can have access to extremely traumatic things, just like a war veteran might. And it's not firsthand, of course. You know, that's completely different. But there is susceptibility still. So while we're still working to help the veterans, what can we do to help the regular working citizen? Now, of course, there are food stamps. I actually was on SNAP before. I had my little EBT card and I remember going grocery shopping with my brother and, you know, just trying to make ends meet. And it's cool because it's a card. So then, you know, when you swipe it, you don't feel like it's that obvious. But hey, no shame. If you need it, then you should use it if the government is able to help you out in your time of need. And I needed it to get back on my feet. And that's kind of the point, right? The whole point is to try to get you geared up into the right direction so that you are just like getting back up on your feet and then you get a better job and then you can afford your food again. Um, But the problem is, you know, people get comfortable with the low income lifestyle or, you know, they grow out of it and then they struggle to become more wealthy because after $39,000 a year, if you make beyond that, then they kick you out of the system. So then you're struggling to come up with like new credit scores and money and, and employment and, you know, to shift to your new lifestyle. And it's just difficult. And you kind of feel like you just keep going back and forth. You're like, okay, well, this year I made, you know, $1 more than than they were going to allow me food stamps for. And it still doesn't get you there. It still still doesn't get you that credit score because there's so many other factors, you know, that help to boost your, your lifestyle. And it's not just you know, and the food is just, you're like, oh my God, if I could have this for a little bit longer, then it's going to help me. So it's it's almost like it's confusing because you're like detrimental to your life if you don't have it anymore. But you're like, but I, I don't want to have to depend on the government money. I, I want to be able to, you know, depend on myself. But there's always this like, you know, middle area of your life where you're like, well, this is still really difficult and I still need help, you know, and the government is deciding how much help you need and when you need it. The economy is rough right now. And during an economic downturn, more people are using SNAP, therefore contributing to the economy and to farmers and food distributors to ignite and upturn the economy, and then slow down the amount of assistance that's actually needed. Um, Most people who benefit from food stamps are children, elderly people, or individuals with disabilities. And it's just funny because, like, you always find these facts interesting because it still doesn't solve any problems. It's just pointing out, like, how it all works. It's like, oh, supply and demand, and then this and that. And you're like, that's cool. 
But like, how do we actually like solve the bigger issue? Like, it just feels like this giant catch-22 and it's cyclical. And all we do, ever do is point out, well, this is why this happens because this is what this happens and then this happens and then that. And people are just like, yay, I pointed it out. It's like, cool. Okay, but how are we actually going to solve these big issues? Because, you know, you get the haters that are like, oh, look at these people using our government money for why don't they get a job you know and, and and it's like because it's just this giant catch-22 all the time it's like of course I would love to be in that situation as well but I don't think we're allocating our government funds properly I mean most of it more than 50 percent of our tax dollars goes to war goes to our military <laughs> so I mean you know unless like, I guess we're just always planning on going to war and we're just like yeah check us out we have the best military in the world like I don't know I don't know how I feel about that. Like, I get it. I get why we need it. I'm not ignorant to that. And I understand, like, why we give and we help other countries, you know, in need because we need to, you know, be in their good graces and we need to help them as well. I get it. I do. But, you know, we, you know, people are like, how about us? We're in the, we're in this situation right now and, and we need help. And I'm going to get to how we can help. But, um, you know, with the, just going back to like the grocery shopping and stuff, like it's not just regular inflation, it's low margin businesses like supermarkets that have less bargaining power. So when it comes to negotiating with vendors and like transportating, transportation providers, um, these neighborhoods don't have these mega chains, right, in their areas. And they just depend on these smaller grocery stores to provide for them. But their food is inflated even more, and they can't afford it, not to mention most of them don't even have cars to get to the grocery store to begin with. So without easy access and supply chain disruptions, these people are paying more for less. So what about low-income housing? How come builders aren't building low-income houses? Because... Is it simply just they're being greedy and they're like, no, we want to be rich and we only want to make luxury homes? No, because it's actually expensive for the land and for the development. Even if they find public land to use and get the loans and investors they need, the rent from the low-income tenants won't even begin to turn a profit for the builders and to pay back their loans. And there are design fees and reserve fees and project management fees you know, there's always the fee-fee, fee-fee, fee-fee-fee with everything, right? And the state governments have limited amounts for tax credits and grants. So even if a development qualifies, funding isn't always guaranteed. And, you know, to avoid another 2008, lenders aren't just going to dish out money and assume the risk. Like, we've already learned from that mistake, right? So the current standard for low-income families is that they shouldn't pay more than 30% of its household income on rent. Right. So in order for affordable housing to get built, these builders are depending on changes to land use and subsidies, but not just from one area. They have to come from many different places to close the gap. Right. So they're depending on all of these different things, which also takes so much time. So people are like, oh, just build it real quick. I'm like, well, this could take like years to like put this into motion. So we're already just behind on everything. Uh, not to mention builders have to comply with local land use and building codes, and that stops them from being able to build in certain areas. So th there's just all of these things that just push it back and push it back. And not to mention if builders literally like just built cheaper homes with like no sidewalks and no parking spaces, you know, bad sprinkler systems, like whatever to accommodate the lower class citizen, then the area would suffer. 
and the equity would be hard to build. And, you know, we are just gentrifying people again. And it would be, you know, a short-term solution, you know, to putting a roof over someone's head, but it would break code violations and ultimately devalue an area. But cities uh, now have requirements for the exterior look of a home. So since like your neighbor's home literally can affect the equity of yours, right? So like, you know, when you have like a neighbor who's like, oh my gosh, they're not taking it. Like that's why people like HOAs because it keeps people like in line. But, you know, sometimes your neighbor's fence might be falling apart or they have an overgrowth in their lawn and then it makes your, you know, home look less than. And it does. It affects your home equity. But everybody should have a right to housing regardless of if it's quality just as if you were to buy a car. If you decide to get a BMW with all smart features and leather seats, then I shouldn't have my car insurance go up just because you got a nice car. So if we truly live in this, you know, capitalist country, then we need to be able to have both luxury, middle class, and lower class options. And this is why the conversations, you know, are are tiresome. You know, the answer to them is to get a better job, but jobs aren't paying a living wage right now. And the average American should be able to buy a house with their living wage, whether it's just a regular house for their regular family. We're not saying, you know, it just feels like they're building all of these luxury homes and they expect everybody to live luxuriously. And it's just not possible with the current wages. Otherwise, if that's the new expectation, then I need to be getting paid the same as a doctor. If anything, constructing new public housing right now is probably the least cost-effective path. And maybe they should look into rehabbing the existing homes and apartments and then stretch the subsidy dollars. Um, But, you know, everyone's job is valuable to the strength of an economy. We just need to make sure we're not pushing people out and pushing them in the wrong directions. We need to all understand that whether you're on the lower pay grade, the middle, or the upper, that it does take everybody's strengths in these areas. It's like we can't just grow a bunch of Silicon Valleys. Like we can't we can't do that. Like we still need to, you know, deal with this uh, investor situation. Um, and I do know that there are things coming into play Biden is doing to make sure that only qualified uh, nonprofit organizations are able to bid on FHA properties um, and HUD-owned properties and making sure that we are getting, getting these houses to the families that need them and it's not just investors coming in to take them. The idea of the word growth alone implies that you have to start low, right? So we start low, then we stop somewhere in the middle, and then we end on a high note. And if we discontinue our levels then there's nowhere for people to go, right? Like people don't just start low and then get to the high point. And millennials are having a hard time finding starter homes that are affordable because a first home shouldn't cost $500,000. That's called your starter home for a reason. And, you know, builders are starting to make smaller homes, actually, because people are starting families later in their lives, So a lot of people really only need, you know, a a two, three bedroom home to start with, but they're astronomical in price. Why would why would I want to spend five hundred thousand dollars on a you know two bedroom home when the goal would be to spend that in the future when I have kids and I can get a four bedroom, you know? And it's it's like we can't look to the future of growth if we have to pay the same amount of a house that they would have 
paid, you know, 10 years from now? How can we expect the economy to grow either? We're just digging ourselves a ditch. Uh, one solution is affordable or free childcare. Get that. This is something that they're actually working towards right now. So the American Families Plan and the Child Care for Working Families Act would modernize an economy um, and give parents the opportunity to put additional funds back into the economy to boost the economy's growth. So the act would create a funding structure that could provide free care for low-income working families and affordable care for the middle class. So it's really about allocating funds to provide financial stability in other areas, like purchasing a home. So many mothers have recently had to leave their jobs just to stay home and take care of their kid because their living wage isn't comparable to what they're paying for childcare, which in turn creates less employees for the workforce, yada, yada, yada. So this is another solution. Um, and, and another solution is for the government to help businesses afford their supply so they don't feel pressured to raise prices on their consumers. So I think that's how we, the government should allocate their money, because if they aren't feeling the stress to, you know, buy all of these, you know, goods for their consumers at such a high price, they won't feel tempted to raise their prices on a menu, you know, instead of having a $8 burger, having a $15 burger on the menu. Um, so what will happen to the US dollar, right? And it feels as if we don't know what is expensive anymore, because we were taught the difference in prices of certain items, right? If I go to the store and they say a tomato is $20 now because of inflation, it won't really mean anything to me, except that I remember that $20 used to get you more. We'll just become like robots to this paper money in our hand. And we're like, okay, I guess a tomato is $20, whatever, here you go. And it won't have real value anymore. And, and I mean, we could have to switch to a new system where, you know, I guess the Bitcoin thing, like two Bitcoins can get you a tomato and we relearn a new system since inflation kind of muddies everything, right? I always talked about balance before, like just make it make sense. I don't care if we go back to using pennies and being like, oh, a tomato is one cent. Cool. But like, just make it make sense, make it relative. And, and I could see us literally exchanging our dollars and converting it into digital coin. I mean, I could see that. Like I just go to the bank and I'm like, okay, bank. We're switching. The bank is now digital. And they're like, cool, well, you have this much money. And now it means this much in digital coin. Yay. That's how we're switching. I mean, and it could have a whole new meaning. Um, but maybe our taxes are partially allocated into a private mutual fund. Why don't we do that? Right? Why can't we do that? Why can't the government do that for us, for our futures and for, you know, stocks, since our education doesn't include learning about economics, right, and how to save money? I mean, geez, I think the only thing I ever did in life management class was learn how to balance a checkbook and nobody even does that anymore, right? It, it just seems like our country has our back, and but the taxes we pay aren't necessarily reinvesting into our futures. So some people, you know, never have kids. Think about that. And pay taxes that go towards schools and programs for the needy or education, and they never have children. And it's like, well, where's my tax credit for not having kids? right? Can I get some of that money back since I like put it in, you know, like I was just looking at my breakdown for my property taxes the other day. And it's like, you know, everyone's like, oh, the trash service is free. I'm like, no, it's not. It's $250 a year. Look at your taxes. Like, you pay for this stuff. You pay for the, 
you know, firefighters and for their service. And you pay for the streetlights. So you might as well be annoying and call the streetlight people and be like, yo, this light bulb is out in the street. Can you fix it? I did that the other day, actually. And it was ridiculous. I'm like, why is this so difficult to like get a person to do this? Um, Even putting a speed bump in an area is like next to impossible. I even called about like adding a turn lane and a merge lane the other day. Like I try. I really do. But it does take forever. But these are your tax dollars. So reach out to these people. Reach out to your city and ask them to do stuff. Maybe the more people that request it, the more that will actually get done. Because I'm so tired of paying these taxes and not seeing any results in my area at least. Um, So that's an issue. Um, And they could, you know, also legalize uh, single family home conversions to make cities more affordable. They could do that as well. That's another option that they could do. Um, so it's tough. Things are tough right now. I, you know, I don't have one particular answer that's going to be a cure-all, and I am not an economist at all, but I am paying attention, and I think that's the first step is paying attention and just start you know, slowly educating yourself. If you have a question, the magic Google in your hand can help a lot. You know, Always like look at your resources and where it's coming from and that it's not an opinion piece and blah, blah, blah. But like, you know, it's it's really your life in your hands, you know, and we have to make these decisions and we have to learn to be smarter every day on how can you grow your money best. Read those books. Read those Dave Ramsey books and all those other things. You know, find the best ways, how much money to put towards your mortgage and all these things that are going to set you up for the future. Um, but anyways, struggle is real. My heart goes out to so many people like just in this situation. I was fortunate enough. I bought a house uh, over 10 years ago and gosh, that was just the best choice I ever made. I bought this house for $124,000. I owe 90 on it and my mortgage is really cheap. <laughs> and I'm just like, wow, I'm so thankful that I've set my I set myself up for that. And I don't know what's going to happen. I can't predict, you know, everyone's like, oh, we're going to have a crash. We're not going to have a crash. There's a bubble. Like, it's a tough situation. You know, I would say follow the interest rates. And, you know, if you are looking to buying a house, you know, kind of hold off maybe a little bit, it's going to go down again. Um, and, you know, just really look at the history of things and look at what you can, what you can afford. I mean, obviously, sometimes people have to buy a house because they have nowhere else to go. And they're like, okay, do I spend because right now it's not any cheaper. It's like, do I spend all this money on rent? Or do I take the money I have now and invest it into a home and get an adjustable rate mortgage or something. Even the best economists are unsure of, you know, what's going to happen in the next, you know, year from now. And, you know, it's it's always going to be tough unless you have a magic, eight, you know, ball, crystal ball, eight ball, whatever, that tells you, hey, if you sell your house now, you're going to have all this money. And then rent for six months, the economy is going to crash and then swoop in and buy a house. I mean, you're typically always going to be taking that money and then from the equity in your house and then using it in a new home, which is great, nice down payment, but then you're still paying more because that house you just bought is more expensive because the economy keeps growing. So it it is a tough place to be, but at the end of the day, just do your research and look at like, okay, like I would hate to watch someone who like had a nest egg of like $40,000 and because of the current state of the economy, watches all that $40,000 just like dwindle away when they could have invested it you know, and had security and had, you know, a home gives you security. It's true. Um, As long as you're smart about being able to afford your monthly mortgage, you know, we definitely don't want to lose our homes or anything like that. Um, But, you know, take some time, talk to somebody about it uh, and see what your best options are. This has been Katie Rose served straight up with a twist. And your cocktail of the day is the whiskey sour. 
Stretching back all the way to the Lincoln administration, the whiskey sour was traditionally made with whiskey, lemon juice, sugar, and egg white. You can put all of the ingredients in a shaker with ice and pour in a whiskey glass or a coupe glass. You can also replace the sugar with maple syrup. Do you want to capitalize on this housing market and possibly sell your home? Or did your rent almost double? The market certainly is not fair right now, but it might be a good idea to find out where you're at in home ownership. When you're financially ready and emotionally ready, I will be your lady in waiting. It's one of the biggest purchases of your life, and if you're selling, one of the biggest sales and reinvestments of your life. So before you make any decisions, let's start a conversation. Rose the Realtor is here to help you. Contact me at katierose at topagencyrealty.com, and I'll help you in your transition. Home ownership will always give you more leverage than renting, but you also want to be sure you can buy or sell comfortably to be at your greatest financial advantage. With the right planning and expert advice, you'll be glad you looked into your options. Again, that email is katierose at topagencyrealty.com. I work behind the scenes while you take the stage. Catch my follow-up Fridays on YouTube, where I respond to your YouTube comments on any thoughts or questions relating to each week's episode. It gives you a chance to have a more intimate conversation with me and opens up the door to new topics. Find me at my YouTube channel, Katie Rose Straight Up With A Twist. And remember, if you're thinking it, I'm probably talking about it.